All right, let's do it. Hey, what's going on? It's uh, everybody's favorite tennis player, the most talented guy in the world, Roger Federer. You know, when I'm not beating people and making them cry with my talent, I like to, you know, come back to Basel and relax a little bit, like, you know, in the off-season. You know, also the great thing about the off-season is, you know, the chance to uh, spend a little bit more time with all of my trophies. You know, I have so many of them, so that's great. I make sure that my staff and all the butlers, you know, that shine my crown every day and shine the trophies, a really good shine. Uh, on the uh, on the trophy and on the crown and you know it's really really great to have that um, really looking forward to beating everyone with my uh, my huge talent yeah high energy code violation coming your way what's up who's starting i guess i am now um not much sitting here in the rain oh, maybe we'll get some shit. And spontaneous thunder coming in, so that could be exciting. What part of high energy do you not understand? That was the lowest energy introduction I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm sitting here in the rain. I guess I'll talk about some tennis. <laughs> How about you? There was thunder. Oh, okay. Decidedly low energy cricks. <sighs> I mean, like that could be construed as Canadian high energy. Canadians are intense. i was watching raunich earlier and um the the first thing that struck me was the incredible intensity he's always exuding yeah at this point it wouldn't be a code violation episode if we didn't in some way insult milos a little bit yeah that's true so sorry again milos if this ever gets to you (laughs) hey milos is playing well and he's looking good more importantly i don't really care about his tennis so much but that black outfit he's wearing is something else and he looks tanned he does. I don't think there's a player on tour whose fans and to a lesser extent detractors are more divorced in their opinion of him based on his actual tennis. Very few people like his tennis. Some people defend it, but defending it's not a glowing endorsement. But he still has some hardcore fans. I like him too. Maybe it has something to do with um, Matt's article about him. Tell us about that, Matt. Okay, I, I will... Well, this is high energy. Good Lord. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I, I have a really boring story to go along with that. So we, we've got double things here. Um, this is Matt's boring story day. Stay tuned. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I wrote a blog post about Milos. Basically just saying, I called him the people's champion. And it is, to this day, still the most read story on my blog. It's on my Twitter, so... You can look it up. I wrote about how Milos kind of plays like a hacker. He's a professional tennis player who plays in some ways more like the rest of us play tennis. And so I saw something identifiable in that. If you ever look at him run into a backhand, it's it's an <laughs> awkward, funny-looking thing. I saw him run into a couple of uh, passes today off his first serve where he, he thought he really had an advantage, so he, he served and volleyed and then just got blistered. I saw him hit an effective backhand return today and was kind of stunned and then realized that's not that out of the ordinary. He can do it. He's a technically sound player. I think one of the issues, if you've ever seen a picture of him standing next to, say, a, a normal-sized person, or not even a normal-sized person, but a normally proportioned person, uh, <laughs> there's a picture of him standing next to, to Djokovic, and his legs come up like almost to Novak's chest. Yeah. Like his legs are ridiculously long. It's got to be somewhat difficult to look graceful with that kind of proportion. 
those kinds. I'm also not convinced that he doesn't hike his shorts up a little bit higher than the others too. For the look? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a weird aesthetic that he has because it doesn't look normal. In Canada, we were, I guess, understandably pumping Canadian tennis players. But basically then, if during a Grand Slam, if a Canadian player was playing and it didn't matter how like lame the match was, they would put that and only that on. So I'd quite often just cheer for him to lose so I could watch <laughs> something else. Um, but I decided after I wrote that first article, I, I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a look. Uh, this was the whole idea. is because people were saying that, that Milos's return had improved. So I had this thesis that returns don't actually improve. And so what I wanted to do was take a year of looking at roundage matches and like track them. And so I did a lot of that. I didn't do anything with it. So I just have a whole bunch of data on Milos playing tennis. But he does, I don't know, he plays interestingly strategically is what I, what I got out of that. Um, and, and basically, though, if you do look at the return numbers, I think that thesis is, is fairly accurate. That players don't really improve on return. So if you're just waiting for Nick Kyrgios to really turn the corner by improving his return, I think you'll keep waiting. Yeah, I'm done waiting for him on most things. But I have to say, it is kind of fun to watch him again in this tournament on grass. Stuttgart. He's been great here. He's been really fun to watch here. Is he drawn to play Federer next? Yes, tomorrow morning. Probably earlier than any of us will be up, but yes. That could be a great match if he you know, shows up and decides to play and, and not get injured. Because Federer looked great today as well. I don't know how much of that was the ease of looking great when you're as great as Federer is and your opponent is absolutely terrible. Hi, Guido Pea. Yeah, but he, he looked frighteningly good. Like I'm, I'm, I already have the, uh, the Wimbledon scaries that, that this guy might actually come in and win it at the, end, at the age of 574. The thing that I thought was the most remarkable watching that match today was just kind of not so much a shot making whatever i'm used to seeing that from him but how good he is with his feet yeah he just always seems like he's in position to hit a good shot even if he's on the run or if he's jammed he gets his feet in the right place even when the volley's coming straight at him he manages to step away that was phil gagging on his own vomit there from all that <laughs> federer praising one thought i had watching the match today was the way federer is playing is the way people sort of incorrectly describe how he plays, which is that he's rushing the net all the time and ending every point on, on two shots. Whereas, you know, really he's been just a tremendous offensive baseline player for a long time. But I mean, it felt like today against this guy, he was getting to the net on every shot. And again, I, I wonder how much of that is the opponent who, you know, he, it's just easy to set it up against someone so terrible. But this feels like the Federer that, people have sort of built him up to be, which I never really found him to be. Not to say I prefer that, but that's how it looked. What's the consensus among you gentlemen? Do you enjoy watching grass? Do you, uh, not, not actually watching the grass? Because that's probably not that fun. Grass season, is this more enjoyable to watch than, say, the clay swing? Phil, you first. Yes. For one thing, I, I love the start of the grass season because... The clay season, it, like it feels as demanding as a viewer of the sport as it is of the purveyor of the sport on clay. With the three Masters and then the French Open, 
when uh, Monte Carlo starts, it's like, oh, I love this. Like, we're finally back to clay. By the time the French Opens ends, I'm like, I'll be happy if I don't see this again for another year, which is the case. And um, grass is kind of the complete opposite. It's green and lush looking. So it's just refreshing on the eyes, for one thing. I also appreciate that there should be competition this year. You know, it was great for Rafa to do what he did, but it kind of felt like there wasn't much standing in his way, whereas I feel like this grass season is pretty up in the air. You know, when the leading candidate to win Wimbledon is 37 years old, you have to think, you know, someone might be able to make a move. What say you, Matt, Chris? (laughs) Chris. I hope that's popping in your ear. Yeah, it's popping. We're going to talk about that later, too. Um, uh, I, I will point out that Federer, is, Federer and Serena are both 36, since I, I dug myself a nice hole with that one last time. I like grass in general. Wimbledon was the only thing that was on TV for me when I was growing up in the, in the 80s, to give another clue of how old I am. But I also I have these mixed feelings about it because there's all this stuff that I hate about tennis and this sort of stuffy English gentry nonsense that that surrounds it. It is even stuffier and gentrier, if you will. Yes. Um, when it comes to the grass season, so I sometimes have a hard time taking away that association of the sort of like all of these things about how players should behave. It's fine that Wimbledon's in all in all white because great, it's a tradition once a year. But like, just what that represents in some ways, or even like, you could ask different people on on what it means by by calling the women's tournament ladies, for example. Um, we could ask our friend uh, Anna Mitrich about that one. We may ask her at some point. But yeah, th- so th- there's all those aspects to it. As for the tennis. Um, I generally enjoy it for a bit, but I think it's kind of like what, what Phil was saying about clay season. I think if grass season was longer, that I would get just as sick of it as, as tends to happen at the end of, of clay season. Um, especially, again, not to fault Nadal, but there was very, very little suspense for this year's men's side of the draw and, uh, at Roland Gauss, So I don't know if I would feel that way, though, just to play devil's advocate, because I don't get tired of hardcore. Maybe there's a subtle difference that you know they can color them any way they want, whereas clay is all red. It's very grass is very serve dominant, so you get um, you get different people. Like you get people like I, I was saying earlier today that someone like Feliciano Lopez, I think he basically just like puts in his time for the season until we get around to the grass because he can finally play how he likes to play. So it does, it rewards that kind of thing, but his game is is largely determined by his serve. And a guy like Raonic is, you know, fairly similar. So you might get tired, I'm saying, of seeing big servers after a certain point. That was the only thing that came to my mind was it's not as fun if you're not seeing a lot of points, if you're just seeing ace, ace, ace. But the matches that I've watched so far in Stuttgart actually have been interesting because the serves have been big, but they've been returned as well so there's still a lot of points being played out it's interesting that that's kind of the view of the old school tennis purist that tennis is good when it's you know points end very quickly and when it denigrates into a rally then it becomes like a boring slugfest which i think is one of the reasons why the why the term point construction is thrown around so much because we don't just need to appreciate it but we need to sort of fight this narrative that you know these more baseline oriented players are 
just boring and play like walls. So we have to insist upon the fact that they play intelligently and strategically and it's more interesting, um, which I think it is. But at the same time, I feel like if I see the phrase point construction one more time, I'm just done with it. I, I roll my eyes. It's like it's like it's getting shoved down my throat. We were going to talk a little bit about the French Open final, but it seems like there really isn't that much to say about that tournament. We covered it a little bit in our last podcast and really nothing out of the ordinary happened. Oh, the women's final was great. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it was it was a pretty good match. Um We'd been talking about how Sloan Stevens, when she gets into a final, is sort of like a, a, a mythical stat she had. I think she was six and zero in finals, and she won that first set. And it looked just like, well, here's here's Halep. She's going to lose again, and people will have a great time writing about how she's never going to win a major or something. But she just she turned it around. And um, for me, it really was that she's a little bit better player. She's a little bit better player on clay, and it it came out over three sets. So. It was good. Like Phil said, it was a it was a fun final. I don't know if it was the grunting or just her general like aggression in the second and third set, but Halep appeared to be bludgeoning Sloan. She took her learn from Ostapenko. That's an excellent point. <laughs> she may have gone out in the first round this year, but she she has some equity in this slam, I think. Is that the Latvian national anthem? Indeed it is. You've been saving that, that, That's great. We're, we're doing a podcast after Simona Halep finally won the French Open and we're crediting Ostapenko and, and playing her country's national anthem. A country that won't let her put her real name on her ID. Awesome. Isn't Halep 26? I mean, I know we've been getting players' ages and name pronunciations wrong, but, you know, finally, finally at 26, she wins. Congratulations, Congratulations. Simona, Simona Halep. Well, there, the rest of this has been crap, but we can keep that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, to my personal favorite segment of the podcast, the code violation segment, we're going away from tennis this week to a story that was kind of fun and kind of scandalous if you're Major League Baseball. And it has to do with a game between the Mets and the Dodgers that happened in 2016. I'm going to let Phil set this up quickly, and then we'll play some audio and kind of break it down, because this is the best. The history involves Chase Utley, who is um, widely regarded as baseball's dirtiest and and most disgusting player. Um, In 2015, when the Mets were not such losers, they kind of fluked their way into the playoffs. And in the first round, they were playing the Dodgers. Chase Utley was on the Dodgers at the time. And at some point, he slid into the Mets shortstop, and it was a really dirty slide. I I don't remember the exact rules, if you're allowed to slide at the person. But, I mean, he basically just assaulted him. And the Mets shortstop broke his leg as a result and was out of the playoffs. So he had to miss you know the rest of the playoffs in the World Series, which is terrible, especially to happen for an illegal play. And uh, Major League Baseball basically... I forget if they if they punished Utley at all, but if they did, it was nominal. So the unspoken rules of baseball say that when Chase Utley returns, you know we're gonna throw a hundred mile an hour baseball at his ribs because that's how these guys still think. Um, so in his first at bat, Noah Syndergaard, who's the Mets' hardest thrower, apparently aimed at him, but inexplicably threw like a foot behind him, and the umpires threw him out of the game, and the Mets 
obviously took extreme exception to that. Um, we didn't know the specifics of how they took exception, but there was a big melee on the field. And recently, a uh, video surfaced that actually had the audio because the umpires and all these people are mic'd up during the game. And that audio was leaked a couple days ago. It's really brilliant. So I broke it up into five little chunks so that it's not just one big thing. And it also kind of escalates. We'll break it down. No, I mean, you can't do that. You're not, not in that situation, man. You can't, you can't, you can't not, 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 that ain't going to happen. I mean, I, I knew you were going to say that, but that ain't going to happen. I mean, that's, that's the wrong time to do it. That's all. I'm telling you. It is what it is, but that's, that, that ain't going to happen. Our, our ass is in the jackpot. We don't do something there. That, I'm just telling you that. Okay, so he was talking to the pitcher. Yeah, so, so that's Noah Syndergaard telling the umpire that I'm just trying to throw a, an effing fastball, which is hilarious that he says it with a straight face. Yeah, that's a total lie. Yeah. I really suck, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah. He can't really say, yeah, I was aiming and I missed. Let me try again. <laughs> um, but, but the players were pretty level-headed, but the manager was clearly very upset about it. I mean, okay, the situation of what, what happened and everything else, that's what dictates that, okay? But there was no Neil, prior knowledge that before the game started. I mean, Neil, if Barry comes into the dugout Neil, and says, Neil, hey, if somebody gets hit, then that's... Neil, then Neil, we, everybody, everybody knows, everybody knows what, what the situation is, okay? Okay, so now you hear the crescendo of the crowd. That's because Terry is now about to get involved and take this to the next level. Take him, take him, take him, take him. Terry, 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 get, get a handle. Come on, let's go. Come on, talk to me. Talk to me. Talk, talk to me. Tommy, that's talk, fucking bullshit. Terry, you know it. Then you talk to me I about it. Then. You know. Okay. You gotta give us a shot. You know what? You gotta give Terry, us a shot. Okay, Tom. listen to me. Let me hear what I'm saying. Okay? You get your shot. You had your shot right there. In the situation. Well, why you not? know the situation, I Terry. Know why okay. do I get a shot, <laughs> Tommy? Because that doesn't. That makes well, it worse. Yeah. Terry, that makes it fucking Tom, worse. I know it. But MLB did nothing to that guy. <laughs> it sounds to me like. Like it's out of a bad movie or something. Like, like these guys screaming at each other in, in sort of platitudes that you wouldn't think people say in real life. Completely. You gotta give us our shot. You had your shot, Terry, and you blew it. Like, you know the deal. He's even putting in the plot point that MLB didn't do anything to that guy. Yeah, right. It, it, it seemed very scripted. But he literally means that you know the unwritten rules that we can try to kill this guy with a fastball. That, that was what he meant? Yeah, and then the ump said, yeah, you had your shot. <laughs> right. And, and the unwritten rules are specific in that you can't try to kill him because you can't aim for his head. So you can, ah. try, to, you can try to badly wound him. Ideally, you go for the hip. Between the thigh and the ribs and hope it hits something in between. A compound fracture. Center mass. We're just getting going. Okay, that, that I, I can't control that, Terry. I can't control that. You know as well as I do where I, Terry, you know where I stand on the whole fucking situation. Terry, listen, I'm telling you, our ass is in the jackpot now. Yes, indeed it is. So that's trending on Twitter. There's already apparel being made about asses being in jackpots and, and whatnot. Nobody seems to know what it means. So I googled what does ass in the jackpot mean. One of the first articles I read was based on the definition of jackpot, basically saying something about the umpires being bribed and that being some kind of confession to that effect. Oh. 
didn't make any sense to me why he would say that to Terry Collins, even if it were the case. But, you know, it's it's one of the theories out there. I have one more little piece of this to uh, put this to bed. It's very short. Fucking motherfucker. You know what? You got it. You got it. Okay, get it. You got everything out. Last week on the show, we were talking about Jack Sock and really ripping into him for saying that the umpire was atrocious, I think was the word. All this went on. Did he even get ejected, Collins? So when Syndergaard hit Utley, I think the manager is kind of ejected by default. I don't know if that's actually the rule, but that's pretty much always what happens, if I'm not mistaken. That's interesting. I mean, it makes sense. It does make sense, because obviously it's coming down from the top in a situation like that, so you're not just going to take the pitcher out, you're going to take the manager too. We need to incorporate more of this in, into tennis. Like, Djokovic breaks a racket, and, and you know, back in the day, and Becker gets the, gets the boot. Oh, that would be awesome. Out goes Boris into bankruptcy. <laughs> And Boris's ass is in the jackpot already. We know that. <laughs> it sure is. He, no, he's, he's, this is ridiculous. He is pleading diplomatic immunity from, <laughs> from bankruptcy because he's apparently some kind of ambassador for the Central African Republic. Good luck to Boris. I, I hope it works. I feel really bad for Boris. A lot of people are sort of, you know, laughing at him in kind of a, malevol- a malevolent way. I, I don't know why they, either dislike Boris because of his personality when he was a tennis player or because he wasn't sufficiently respectful to Djokovic after coaching him to six grand slams. But um, yeah, people seem to really revel in his misfortune more than most. It's pretty sad. Apparently he was not only auctioning um, some of his slam trophies, but they said he was auctioning off a watch that Djokovic gave him as a gift, which is pretty just, just a sad story. Matt, do you think that any other players on tour would be interested in retaining Boris as a coach? If you think about what Phil just said, that he coached Djokovic to to six grand slams, even if you think, well, Djokovic was already the best player in tennis when he brought Boris on, he wasn't winning at that rate. So, you know, I don't see why not. I think the the story is, is that he's working a lot with the German Tennis Federation, so he's ostensibly busy, but I, I do think he might possibly be distracted. But there is a good article, I think you can still find it, uh, an interview that my good friend on Twitter, Juan Jose Vallejo, wrote for Rolling Stone. He did an interview with Boris back in the in the heyday and, and talks a lot about the, the kind of tactics that he implemented with Novak. And it is like, it does seem generally like Boris was adding something. I know sometimes people said that he wasn't, but if you read that interview, you can you can see some of the things that he brought to the game. We also liked his uh, documentary. I watched it with my wife. I thought it was really good on Netflix. That was great. Yeah, that. I mean, to to see what a what a rock star he was. I mean, that was that was crazy. I, I loved that documentary too. And and just to refer back to um, the earlier point before we forget it, I, I think it would be hilarious and amazing scenes if they did implement such a rule about um, ejecting coaches for player misconduct, if Lendl was still coaching Murray and Murray uh, had one of his little <laughs> episodes on court and they approached Lendl to tell him he had to leave the stadium. I'm pretty sure he would never return if they even managed to get him out. But yeah, I, I agree. I think tennis could use a little bit more theatrics, which is why I cringe a little bit when Twitter goes nuts that, you know, a player 
broke his racket or said fuck on court or something totally benign. Well, if they go ape shit, we're going to catch it and we're going to bring it to you on this podcast. Should we ask you about The Bachelorette? What would you like to know? So you genuinely love it? I do love it. And I'm not alone. There are millions of people in this, this country that love it. I'm sure there are millions of people in, in this country that, that also love it. There aren't even millions of people in Canada. That's right, Phil. How, how many people are there in Canada? 730,000. I just updated the Wikipedia page. Okay, great. In Matt's little village, there's only about 60 people. Yeah, five of them in his family. <laughs> if I look around, like I live next to two apartment buildings, actually like several. I think there are more than 60 people in like a 100 meter radius from me. And yes, I said meter with R-E. At the You're end. just going to confuse our listeners. No one knows what a meter is. That's right. Because they're all ignorant. <laughs> Hi, guys. Yes, I watched The Bachelorette. Is it staged? Yes. Is it compelling? Yes. Are there a lot of good-looking people on the show? Yes. Resounding. So you're saying you enjoy the spectacle? I enjoy every bit of it. I've never heard someone say, yes, resounding before. That's, that's interesting phrasing. <laughs> Imagine Robot Phil doing that. Yes. Matt. <laughs> yes. Resounding. Resounding. I don't think resounding was in the script. But. Probably will be now. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we're going to bug you about The Bachelorette anymore. Hey, why don't you tell us about how much you hate capitalism? I am not talking about my loathing of capitalism. Oh, why not, Matt? Oh, come on. Because that's going to go over really well. I think most people who listen to this would actually agree. So... Like, like saying I hate capitalism on tennis Twitter is not terribly controversial, actually. Which is ridiculous because tennis as it exists now is entirely capitalistic. Resounding. <laughs> yes, resounding. <laughs> it is. I wanted to talk about food, specifically chicken parmesan. Chicken parm. But we're not talking about chicken parm. We're running out of time here. It's disgusting. What? It, chicken parm is especially disgusting, resounding, if you urban dictionary it. Uh, <laughs> so I didn't, I've I. never done that. I never thought to do that. I, I can imagine. Actually, I don't even know if I can. This dates back to high school shenanigans. Before, I think before urban dictionary was even a thing. Like this was one of those things that, you know, dumbass kids came up with. Does it have something to do with beating your meat? Um, no. I, I, I'm not sure it's suitable to be um, broadcast. It has something to do with... Uh, um, Just say it. I'll bleep it out. Okay. A, a chicken parm... I'm looking it up. A, ch a chicken parm is when you go to the beach with your, um, with your partner and they are... And you proceed to bread your... your in the sand. Oh, my God. And have... No one would do that. No one, no one in Canada. <laughs> Holy shit. I've obviously never been to Miami oh. where the chicken parm was invented. I mean, I had a feeling that you were going to say something about the sand sticking to the... Disgusting scenes. It, it, it will at least be a reference to Bruce, who will know what it is. All of his um, suggestions for the podcast were rejected. Because they were terrible. Um, so at least he gets a shout out in terms of knowing what a chicken parm is. Oh. I'm sure if Niche 
and, and Josh had questions that we would have ignored that I could have asked. Avnish asked questions before the first episode that we already rejected. Yeah, they were terrible. Not like this today. Oh, nothing like this. <laughs> this is insightful. <laughs> um, resounding. What's this trash on the sheet about um, <laughs> Matt's artificially good sounding voice? That's the most important material I want to cover today. So I know you were getting a lot of good feedback about your voice after episode one. And it, it came to my attention after you sent something where you were talking, I think it was to Alexa, and it didn't sound quite the same. So I, I think this fancy microphone equipment you have does um, enhance the way you sound a little bit. So just to the Nicoles of the world, I, I don't think we're on an even playing field oh here. Oh, my God. And I just wanted to put that out there. I've never heard. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. When I sent you that video after I installed the uh, Amazon Echo and I was talking to it, I realized that I wasn't using my radio voice and I was a little reluctant to send it. I was like, maybe I should edit the audio out of that or dub it so it sounds good. But I said, nah, they won't pick up on it. They'll just be listening to it on their phone anyway. I pick up on everything. Awesome. Disgusting. So to everyone who's curious, um, Matt doesn't sound this good in real life. And I sound better. Well, when are you getting your microphone, Phil? I don't have the advantage that you do because everyone's already heard my disgusting <laughs> voice. I, I even got them to ship it to Canada. Maybe you can order it and then it'll be waiting for you when you get home from vacation. Maybe. How long, uh, how long are you going to be out of the country, Phil? Um, I'm going to... Cancun with my family on Tuesday for a week. Although, interestingly, there's a flurry of emails going back and forth right now. Um, started by, by my dad, who's saying that the forecast in Cancun's, you know, looks rainy. Should we reschedule? And all me and my brothers, who actually spend our days working, are saying that vacation is not that easy to reschedule forecast for Cancun always looks rainy, and if it rains, it rains. So I've been a little preoccupied here, ensuring that I actually am going on vacation Yeah, in Tuesday to Tuesday. That's definitely a parent thing, where they think that you could reschedule a vacation, not like a dinner. It's, it's insane. And, and, and he had the same job that I did, so it's not like he's just, you know, ignorant to, to what it's like. But, but yeah, I guess, you know, and it's not just one person. It's me and both my brothers who have scheduled this week-long vacation. They've got six kids between them. So the idea that he could think like, oh, well, let's just move it out two weeks is just a normal suggestion is insane to me. Well, especially when it's dependent on the weather. So you're going to just be on standby for your vacation until there's a weak window of 0% uh, chance of precip. Yeah, and the forecast for Cancun always looks like this. Well... I assume not much of that That's will true. be in the podcast. Oh, no, probably most of that will be in. It might be the most interesting topic we've discussed other than Milos. Bill bashing his dad. I'm going to lop off a lot of that grass talk and put in uh, parent bashing. Cancun needs to build a roof already. <laughs> there, there's the tie-in. Brilliant. If you like what you've heard or if you hate what you've heard, we want to hear from all of you about all of it. Don't find me. Find Matt on Twitter at SecondServeHack. Don't send it to Phil or me because you're likely to not like the responses. Because I am, I am civil like a good Canadian. That's right. Agreed.
You know what would be interesting to do is to set it up so that we can see each other. No, maybe not. I'm shirtless right now. No one really wants to see that. Oh, I am too. Cool. I actually just unbuttoned my shirt. What, what is going on here? This is ridiculous. Oh, this is a sexy podcast. This, this is getting this is getting pretty homoerotic. <laughs> and I literally never do that either.